Hey everybody, welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast where an undergraduate philosophy major and its former high school philosophy teacher discuss a variety of philosophical topics in an understandable way all towards the purpose of living a good life. In a state of eternal recurrence, I'm Andrew Graziano. Uh, Nietzsche would be so happy with you. And I'm Derek Parsons, embodying the highest form of the good. And welcome to episode 39, where we attempt to tackle the trickiest question related to God. Why does suffering exist? Why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? But before we do that, I hope no suffering has befallen you recently, Mr. Parsons. How are you doing? <laughs> ah, I'm doing pretty good, you know? School is underway. Oh boy, those first essays, they're coming in next week. Really? That's, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> is that some suffering? That's a little bit of suffering. No, the first essays are always, uh, you know, working out some major kinks. Um, yeah. but the kinks always seem to be the same types of kinks year after year, which is fine. That's how it goes. That's what teaching is. Uh, but anyway, yeah, school's great and life is great. Been enjoying the weekend, uh, as much as we've complained about the heat this summer in Houston, that uh, we have finally broken that heat with uh, a lot of rain recently and some cooler temperatures. So that's nice too. Hey, enough about me. You're, you're, you're back. You're back, baby. You're back at school. Back. How's it going? I'm- it's good. It's good. I just finished up the first week last year here. And so I'm just finishing up some classes, taking some cool stuff. And yeah, I think that's about it. I think nothing new, nothing other than that. It's an exciting time. No, no essays on the horizon. So I'm not in the same state of suffering you are. But uh, yeah, you're, you're at that phase where you just go to class and listen to things. And it's, it's the best part of the year. It is. <laughs> Nothing's yeah, due yet. Uh, so are there any, any classes you're especially looking forward to? Yeah, I, I think uh, number one class, well, I think there's two that are both pretty cool. I'm taking a seminar on the works of um, Susan Wolf, who's a contemporary moral philosopher who's teaching or who just retired from University of North Carolina, led by two of her or recently graduated PhD students. She's really famous for this piece called Moral Saints, where she basically puts forward the claim that if there was such a thing as a moral saint who followed morality to the key, they probably wouldn't be a very fun person to hang around. Uh, <laughs> and and it's probably not someone that a lot of people would like to be. Uh, so it's a pretty cool idea. So super excited for that. And then I'm also taking this one class called Philosophy and Poetry. That's super cool. I know that's much more in Mr. Parsons' wheelhouse than mine, so I can't say much about it. I'm not a good poetry reader, but hope to improve. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about that one. Yeah. And I like the Saints one, too. Yeah. So it's like, what's the end of, of, you know, morality and virtues and all that stuff? Gosh, you end up with such a boring person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, think it'll be, I think it'll be cool. That's good. That's cool. Well, uh, you know, nothing uh, nothing morally good today. It's the opposite <laughs> of that. We're talking about the problem of evil in the context of philosophy of religion. There are a lot of other things we could talk about in terms of evil and existence and how to navigate and live in a world, you know, seemingly capricious and uh, indifferent universe and what that means for our lives and evil and suffering can be associated with that. But today's episode on evil is the problem of evil, as it's called, in philosophy of religion. So it's going to relate specifically 
to that. We did have a gap in our Philosophy of Religion series. Last episode, we had Sky Cleary on, and that was fantastic. And this is, is a bit of an extension of that Philosophy of Religion umbrella. So anyway, let's get to it. All right, everybody, this topic that comes up under philosophy of religion all the time is referred to as the problem of evil. Now, there's a couple other problems in philosophy as well. The, uh, the mind-body issue is typically called the mind-body problem. So there's a couple of things in philosophy that are just outright labeled problem, which is kind of interesting, and, and this is one of them. So, Andrew, the problem of evil, what is it and why is it a problem? So... The problem of evil is one of those things, like you're mentioning in philosophy, that a lot of people think about. I was watching this clip the other day of someone, I think, asking the Pope about this when they were like a really small kid. And I think it's probably one of the first things people think about when they're thinking about God, especially when something happens in your life uh, when you're young, like maybe the first time a relative dies. Uh, that you really care about, or a dog dies, or something of, of that nature. So the problem, I think, sim- most simply stated, is if we're thinking about God and the way that we've been talking about it, the theistic, triple A, all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God, it would seem weird that evil exists, because if God was all-loving and all-good and all-powerful, then it would seem like he wouldn't want to let people that he loved so much, us, experience any evil. And then if he's all-knowing on top of that, then he knows that evil ex- that evil exists in the world too. And so it seems kind of weird that there's things like suffering, like little two-year-old kids getting cancer or any other evil action in the world. It would seem that if God had all of these attributes, then he would stop suffering. Suffering clearly exists in the world. And therefore, the problem really would seem to be actually that God is not existing in this way. He can't have all of these attributes. Yeah, we run into some real contradictions here with the omni-attributes that we've discussed in previous episodes. And I'll say too, with all the episodes related to philosophy of religion that we've done recently— a lot of those are centered around proofs of God, logical proofs of God, and things like the teleological or design arguments, ontological, cosmological. All those you know, are, are considered arguments for the proof of God. Um, this is the one that most people will cite as the most powerful or the most strongest argument against God, because the contradictions seem so great, and when you consider the world and our experience around us, that there just seems to be so much terrible stuff that happens. Suffering from uh, the hands of human beings, and then also suffering from uh, nature, which would include anything like weather situations um, that causes suffering to, of course, as Andrew mentioned earlier, cancer would be considered natural suffering. There just seems to be so much of it. And if God is all-powerful, like, couldn't he have come up with a better idea than this one? You know, is kind of that argument. So, uh, Andrew, before we move on, you probably had something to say in reaction to what I just said. But let me ask you this one. Is it important in this argument to differentiate 
the differences between evil and suffering? Uh, are they the same sort of thing? We're just playing word salad here and like chopping things up. Uh, word salad? Why did I say that? <laughs> are we playing with semantics here? You know, suffering a, a result of evil? Or is there anything to unpack there, I guess? There's definitely something to unpack there on kind of a definitional level. We don't need to go into my spiel about language, but the differentiation is important, especially for the defense of this argument or, or some criticisms to this problem that we just laid out. Suffering is something that seems quite easy to identify, I think. Uh, you know, um, see, this is the problem with this because this episode, because I'm trying to come up with these like thoughts, but they're just so bad, you know, and I well, um, I'm this think- is one of the reasons I hate talking about this yeah, particular uh, topic, because it can be so dark. It's very dark. Yeah, I don't know that we can avoid that. We just might have to embrace the darkness. Just for power like through, 45 yeah. minutes. <laughs> What's the, the Nietzsche quotes? Like, uh, if you look into the abyss, the abyss will look back into you or uh, something. That's right, yeah, the abyss will stare yeah. back. That's right. That's scary. Well, <laughs> okay. So I, I'm thinking this This is quite a, like a common thing probably in a lot of parts of the country, but there's a lot of deer that get hit by like cars out mm. there. Uh, you just see their bodies all over the road sometimes. And sometimes you'll see like one that's not quite dead or something that's just, you know, they've been hit really hard. Maybe they're thing they can't get up. You can just tell they're in a lot of pain. That's something that we can just tell is suffering. It's, I don't think that we're going to have this huge philosophical debate about it. We can talk about different types of suffering, but I think suffering is something that we can largely agree on. Whereas evil, the term evil is is one of those things that it, it requires a little bit of more nuance. We're going to have to think about what that really means when we're talking about the context of this argument. I don't know if I have anything more to say about that. Do you want to add anything to that? Well, let, let's see. So let's say, let's talk about probably as with suffering, there's degrees of that and, and the same with evil too, right? So let's say... No, I'm really annoyed with you. And I'm like, oh, Andrew, just go go jump off a cliff. And, you know, that's not a nice thing to say. And uh, please, uh, you would not take that seriously. <laughs> Surely Mr. Parsons is being <laughs> metaphorical. But that's very different than, say, like, me take, why am I using myself? Anyway, me taking you and, like, torturing you physically over a multitude of days and uh nice. and just doing really really evil things to you like there's evil and there's just kind of like not being nice i guess that's what i'm trying to get at uh yeah <laughs> lord <laughs> what am i saying <laughs> anyway i don't how never mind torture's not my thing <laughs> i guess that's fair to say because can we all assume that <laughs> that's funny I don't know. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, no, let's maybe. hope not. But yeah, so, so there's like just not being nice and then there's like evil and, and evil is and actually some philosophers, don't they uh, differentiate between like horrific evil and oh, I've read that somewhere. I can't remember where there's like evil and then horrendous evil or something like that. You know? Yeah, there's and something you, like that. Yeah. So so you can think of really terrible things like obviously the Holocaust is easy to pick on or uh, the Abu Ghraib prison issue that happened during the the Iraq mission and and what was done there. We know evil things happen, but well, I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore. I was just wondering if, you know, if, if there, if it's important for this discussion, if, if we acknowledge the types of evil and, and like when, if we're saying the problem of evil, is there a specific type of or category of evil we're talking about? 
it's just so difficult to talk about, you know, but the, the distinction should be made for sure. And we just need to keep it in mind. I think I'm going to give you credit because you have this up, but I think it's a really good, Mr. Parsons has this up in our our show notes. So I'm going to give him credit, but it is helpful to think about evil in relation to goodness. Mm. Goodness is just so broad, you know, I'm kind of telegraphing my hand for what we're going to talk about in a minute for defensiveness. But I think suffering is just seems to me to be very fleshed out at least like a biological component of suffering, whereas evil, it exists in a more ethereal way, just in the same way that good exists in an ethereal way. If I ask you to define good or give me an example of good, it's going to be really difficult. But if if I say, can you give me an example of suffering? It's not going to be that hard. Like Mr. Parsons just spelled out a few things that are evil that have properties of evilness. But in all of those instances, you can very clearly define an instant of suffering. So interesting. Well, the last thing I want to throw at you on this one is, is the idea that evil doesn't exist. And sometimes this is used as defense. Um, evil things are only evil because we call those actions evil. Some people will say evil suffering is just things that happen. And it is our, I mean, I can almost take a stoic approach to this and be like, it's not that bad things happen to us, it's our impressions of those things that make them bad. And I have some things to say about that, but that's, I'll let you yeah, go That seems first. a little weird. That seems a little weird to me. Um, yeah. I, can, I can definitely see how if someone would get there, though, mm-hmm. just because of like all of this relativistic stuff that, that's out there nowadays. It just seems odd in the sense that I always go back to this example. That that claim is kind of, if you say that there's no evil exists in the world, it's kind of making this overarching claim that there's no moral facts in the world, that mm-hmm. we're kind of going down this relativistic loophole. And by relativistic, I mean exactly what it sounds like, that evil is kind of how we define evil is up to the individual or the society or the culture. But I think that there's just things that we're just going to say are evil no matter what. Right. Genocide like the Holocaust, Abu Grave, these are just kind of clear things of evil. If mm-hmm. you go down the street and interview 100 people, 100 people are going to say yeah, or 99 people are going to say yes, the one person is just trying to look cool. Uh, <laughs> just look cool. So, so that's all I have to <laughs> Yeah, I don't that. like this argument either. It's like um, sort of an intuitive argument behind it in a way, or counter argument, which is like, you know, p- Okay, yeah, sure. Things aren't evil. They're, they're just, things just happen and we ascribe goodness or badness to them. Yeah, but you know, putting a nine-year-old in like sex trafficking trade or something like that, th- that's evil, yeah. right? Yeah. And we can make some pretty quick moral arguments as to why that is evil, but we don't even really need to appeal to philosophy for that. Uh, that's just straight up evil. And and to be like, well, child sex trafficking trade, that's eh, just a thing that happens, you know? No. Nope. Thumbs down on that argument for me. Yeah. yeah Zero stars. Yeah, it's, it's very like, and I don't mean this in the good way. It's like a very sophistic argument. It's, it just seems like you're arguing just for the sake of arguing. Mm-hmm. And that, and, you know, there's a time for that, but not in, I don't know. It's just, it just seems kind of like a waste of time. Anyway, anyway, yeah. enough anyway. about these, enough about these dark topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get on to how let's get on to some contradictions <laughs> about the nature of God and evil. <laughs> so 
So a theistic God is defined by the omni attributes, like you mentioned earlier, and those attributes that are important for this particular argument is that one, God is all powerful and can do whatever God wants to. Well, there's some arguments about that, but anyway, we already did that episode. So God is all powerful. He can, he can do what he wants to essentially, and that he is also all loving and all good. And how can there be evil? How can, like the example earlier, a nine-year-old in, in the sex trafficking trade, how can an all-good, all-loving, all-powerful God allow something like that to happen if he is truly all-powerful? And so that's the major contradiction. We can bring up other things. So this begins us down this philosophical road in attempting to maintain the ontological aspects of God while at the same time defending the fact that evil does exist. This is the whole trick of of the problem of evil in the philosophy of religion. So where do you want to start? The classical syllogism for the problem of evil is laid out with four premises and the conclusion. And it's a very simple argument, as, as you'll see in a second. Um, and this comes from thousands of years, but I think this one is specifically boiled from J.L. Mackey and Mikulski, who we'll talk about in a minute. The syllogism is as follows. One, God is omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. Two, God is omniscient. That means God is all-knowing. Three, God is omnibenevolent, meaning God is all perfectly good, uh, perfectly loving. Four, is an observation about the world evil exists. And five, the conclusion, the conclusion is that a contradiction exists in the properties, in the properties of God and an observation about the world. So, but the conclusion is basically something like God's properties are not sound or they do not follow. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a problem with the properties that we lay out to God because a contradiction seems to exist. Do you want to talk about why a contradiction might exist, Mr. Parsons? What's, what's, what seems to be at odds in this syllogism? Well, it seems pretty straightforward to me, but, but perhaps it's not to others. Uh, it's just that if God has all these properties, how can he allow evil to exist? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a contradiction of God's properties. So something's got to be wrong. Either God does not have these properties the way that we think he does, or that evil is not what we think it is. Yeah. And I'm not sure if there are any other perspectives uh, other than those two I just gave. There certainly could be that I'm not familiar with. And so this is the problem, as, as they lined out in the syllogism, this is the problem for the theist, is that they now must come up with some kind of argument that defends God in the face of evil existing at the same time as, as him uh, embodying all of these omni-properties. Yeah, so I think you spell it out pretty great. Let me just talk about this for one one more second. Only thing I have to add, when we lay out properties for a thing, like we did way back in the ontological argument, we're doing so because we're trying to derive a set of conditions, the set of properties to define a thing that's very difficult to define. So for instance, for God, we laid out those three properties and by those three properties, we can kind of start putting together what God is. Now, when we're testing a claim like that, that 
those three conditions or properties of God, the triple A properties, all we need to do to disprove those ideas is to find an example of one thing that's wrong with them. And that's what the premise four is doing here, showing that evil exists, that it's incompatible with those what those conditions which theists have outlined as necessary conditions for God's existence. If we remember way back in the um, ontological argument, kind of some of the argument was, or in, in the cosmological argument at least, uh, there was this claim, right, that God was all-powerful and a contingent and necessary being, and that's why he had his existence in the world. He created the universe, had all this power. Now, if we're showing a contradiction to those claims that he doesn't have one of these properties, this starts knocking over the dominoes all the way back, and it's going to have consequences to all these ways that we've come to know God's existence in the past three episodes or so. Yeah, and dealing with these contradictions, one of the solutions has been from, I think it's from J.L. Mackey. Uh, he's just like, well, hey, maybe God isn't all good. He would love that. He would love that. There are many answers to this problem of evil, I, I think is what he says. If we can just let go of the whole omni arguments about God, then, I mean, the problem itself is for sure. solved. For sure. Yeah. Of course, that creates all kinds of other problems for theistic believers. And so that's why the conflict continues to go on and on and on. Uh, to consider God not all good has its own contradictions as well, right? Because then you're like, well, what is what is yeah. a God? You know, a God, you know, a God would would have to be good because a, a God would be all powerful. Assuming a God would be all powerful, a God would be all powerful. Uh, then you know, if a God was all powerful, then th- that God would have to be all good because why would a God want to be not good? So, you know, Mackie's like, yeah, an answer to this is real simple. You know, uh, let's just re uh, rethink as to whether or not God is omnibenevolent. Yeah, it's that's definitely one way out. That's, that's an easy way out. That's what Mackie wants to do, um, force the theists to do. Um, I didn't mean to jump. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's a great, a, a great way to out. bring it up because... Like you said, it, it, it's a very easy way to get out of this. Now, let me ask you, Mr. Parsons, I, you kind of alluded to it, and you did allude to it, but let's say we had Mackie and we had like St. Augustine or something in the room together. And Mackie uh, okay. or McCluskey or whoever reads out those four syllogisms, and Mackie says, you know what, St. Augustine, I'll let you get out if you accept the idea that God doesn't have one of these properties. It's a very easy fix. You can say that um, that no. there's evil in the world, but you have to get rid of one of these qualities. What do you think would be a response? <laughs> oh, Augustine would be like, I'm a saint, boy. What are you talking about? I'm going to defend this. He'd probably say it exactly like that. Yeah, <laughs> He'd probably say it just like that. Um, <laughs> no, St. Augustine would be like, um, yeah, that's cool. I have a theodicy. And then Mackie would be like, what's that? So let's define this for a moment, guys. So in the philosophy of religion, when philosophers come up with a defense against specifically the problem of evil, there's a word for that particular type of a defense. It's called theodicy. So this derives from two Greek words, theos, which is God, and uh, is it deke or dyke? How does the I go in, 
in it's Greek. DK. 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 Okay. DK, which means trial or judgment. So really, a theodicy is a is a justifying of God. A theodicy just adds an extra layer on top of mm. um, a defense. So it offers a defense, but it also provides reasons for believing in God's existence as well. Ah, yes. Okay, so that makes sense. Okay, so Augustine's theodicy. So here we go. One, God created the universe and everything in it was good. Two, some of God's creation, namely persons, were given the good gift of free will. Three, some of these created persons freely chose to turn from God's goodness. That is, they sinned and fell from their state of perfection. Four, this turning of the will, or sinning, brought moral and natural evil into the universe. Five, evil brought about by created persons is not a thing or entity. It is a metaphysical deprivation or lack of privation of the good. And so we end up with six. God will finally rectify evil when he judges the world, ushering into his eternal kingdom those persons who have been saved through Christ and sending to eternal hell those persons who are wicked and disobedient. Naughty, naughty humans. So, <laughs> so okay, let's riff on it. What do you think? That, that last point is, sounds so, so much like him, you know. Uh, God's going to come back. It's very interesting and in a second, we'll talk about one that's a little more secularized in any mm-hmm. way that uh, a religious argument could be, I suppose. I really like this. Well, I don't know if I like it, but I think the distinction or something interesting that he does is he introduces this idea of natural evil springing out of... Yeah, I, th- I think I'm right, right? He introduces this idea of, of natural evil springing out of like the... Yes, uh, this turning of the will or sinning brought moral and natural evil into the universe. He's offer also offering an explanation of this natural evil that's arisen, which I think is kind of rare. So the reason why I think it's interesting is because we can say like, okay, the reason people murder other people, actually, we haven't even explained this at all. So I don't know why I'm like nitpicking, but I'm appreciating the, the sense that this explanation of natural evil, not just human evil in the sense of like someone's murdering each other or someone's stealing, but that, you know, there's floods that wipe out a bunch of homes or there's hurricanes that kill a lot of people or there's cancer. I really like that he's offering that explanation there. Now, if you want to buy that, the reason that those exist are from like Adam and Eve. Sure, you know, the fall of man and all that. Into the world. That's up for debate, but I, I appreciate that because I think we often far too focus on human evils and we don't really talk about these naturally so what, what do you think about it well kyle is the blame at the the feet of the human being doesn't it like it well like we're the one that brought it into the world because we had choice now now the the argument that follows that is like well should we have had choice and that choice derives from free will so this is how free will fits into this augustine says that free will is a good right? Let's see here. It says, uh, the good gift of free will uh, is, is the wording. And even Swinburne, who we've referenced many times before, uses the same uh, argument when he discusses free will, that given the omni-attributes, God must give us free will, because free will is a good, and God is all good, 
Therefore, God has free will, and if he's going to do good, he must also give us free will. Now, the double-edged sword there is that free will allows us to make choices between morally good things and morally bad things, which creates or can create evil. But God has to give us free will because it is a moral good. So some of the argument uh, rests on that as well, that premise as well. I think we could even, like you said, this this Augustinian argument's been kind of threaded throughout history of philosophy, even to contemporary philosophers. So we could even stretch this to um, planting us, who's extremely similar to this. If you want to want to go to him, he does the same exact thing as Augustine, except the last premise about God will rectify the you know. Uh, the souls mm-hmm. that you know he does the same thing he offers a, a free he's he does a free will defense and he just basically says because god is omnibenevolent and and all good loves humans so much he had to since he has that property give humans the greatest good that he could give them us sorry i'm not an alien uh give us which is <laughs> which is free will <laughs> and because he he gave us free will. He gave us the choice to choose. And because we have the choice to choose, we can do whatever the heck we want with that ability to choose. And you were alluding to this earlier. So I'm going to I'm gonna steal your kill, as the, the gamers would say. <laughs> you were alluding to this earlier, but it's like, if God's all-powerful, then why can't he just swoop in? And when Jimmy's about to murder Bob, why can't like God make Jimmy slip on a rock or something and let Bob get away or something like that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Like, okay, I can buy the free will defense. I do believe that free will is a good, right? That seems to be true. I'm sure there's some arguments against it, but that's a premise I can stick with. So given that, I mean, that that's great, but I'm like, okay, if God is all powerful, all powerful, then the system we have of, you know, free will, but that creates bad things sometimes. And, eh, you know, God will rectify it all in the end. Uh, it just seems like a really messy plan. It makes sense uh, in a sort of logical way, but you have to buy into a lot of premises such as, you know, that last part of the theodicy is this whole balancing of the scales in the afterlife, but it still really sucks that your mom was murdered or whatever. This kind of cold comfort. It it just seems like, you know, for an all-powerful God, you could come up with a better system than than this particular one. I agree free will is a good, I agree with that. Uh, I, I agree that it's necessary. And yeah, sure, there's some consequences that result from that, but, and I, I'm not God. I can't. I can't answer like what the better plan is, but he's all powerful. So, so that's that's the counter argument. Yeah, it seems really strong, right? Like, I'm gonna. I'll offer a, a response, and I want to allude to this because I think it it is something that's neglected, and and we're gonna talk about it because I think it is neglected. But it's like, okay, free will might exist, but it's still really awful that your mom died of cancer. You know, like Timmy's mom died of cancer or something. And that's just kind of sad, you know, that's, that's awful. So we're, we'll talk about a response to that in a minute, but common response about God not like coming in and, and um, making, was it Jimmy, Jimmy trip on the rock. So uh, Bob wouldn't be murdered. Okay. I think the, the most common response, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Parsons, but it's, it's something like, 
when we say that God gave us free will and that God has those properties of goodness and powerfulness, we really need to understand what that means. We need to have a, a really firm idea of that, right? right? And so when we, mm-hmm. we when we say free will, when we say humans free will, we don't mean humans have free will 99% of the time or humans have free will like on a coin toss or something or, or that God can suspend that free will for an instant. It means we have free will. We have free will all of the time, not when it's beneficial for us not to have free will. So it would seem like God wouldn't be able to prevent us from having the free will when once we had it, once he gave it to us. But then the question's like, okay, well, that seems contradictory in itself because God is limited. God is having limits on something that he can do. And I think the response just needs to be something like, when we say that God is all-powerful, we need to not conflate the term all-powerful with this idea of God being able to do anything. Can God make it rain and not rain at the same time at the same place? I don't think so. Can God make a square and not a square? Can God make a five-sided triangle in the same way? Can God take away free will? Yeah, I mean, another part of this premise that, that we all have to sort of agree on or consider anyway is that, you know, when we say God is all-powerful, is that like in the context of the laws of nature that exist in our universe? Yeah, there, there's just certain things that even an all-powerful God would not be, logically, would not be able to do in our universe, like make it rain and not rain at the Thanks. same time. That's That was a good distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. And another one, too, that I, that I think about is the issue of free will. You know, to what extent do we truly have free will? Yeah, that's ha- that has to be a, a consideration, and that's definitely an assumption that we're making in this argument. Yeah, I go back to our conversations about consciousness a number of episodes ago and, and talking about whether it's biological predispositions in ourselves or whether it's sociological conditions like the type of environment that we grew up in or whatever to what degree or what extent do we have free will? And if it's not total free will, if we don't have total free will, if there's if there's some sort of middle road we're talking about, not determinism, but some sort of compatibilist argument here where we mostly have free will. Yeah. Uh, well, what does that do to this particular argument? I don't know exactly what it would do, but I think it'd make it more a little bit more interesting. Yeah. We'd have to reconsider something, which is fine. You know, that's what philosophers do. That's why they're employed. That's right. That's right. So for listeners at this point, you you probably see why the problem of evil is, is such a problem. Like there's so many counter arguments to even some of the best arguments. Whereas, you know, if we looked at the cosmological argument or the ontological argument, the counter arguments aren't as powerful, it seems for me anyway, as, as I mean, I, th- I think what we've been doing the last 30 minutes kind of exemplify that. Well, let me just say this. If we are accepting that we have free will and we accept, like if we accept we have total free will and we accept that thing about God, that God can't operate outside the rules of logic and nature and, and, and kind of all of those assumptions that planting a free will defense, which is just, you know, what we've been talking about, it's a pretty accepted response to the problem of evil in the sense that we are accepting the conditions that he's laying out and the assumptions. That's pretty accepted. Now, let me um, say that just because it's accepted doesn't mean it's right. But I always thought that was interesting. Again, again, this is just a defense. Augustine's a little different 
But Plantinga just answering the response of the problem of evil is only just defending God from those claims. It's not advancing any claims about the existence of God or God's principles or characteristics or properties. It's it's not doing any of that. It's just strictly a defense, which is important because it's not doing much other than defending it, which sounds really dumb. Yeah, let's address this. A lot of people say the problem of evil proves the non-existence of God. But what's your response to that? No, no, it doesn't disprove the existence of God, even if it's true. The most it could do is disprove that God does not have one commonly associated properties with the existence of God, or, well, we didn't spell this out, but the way that we spelled it out, we could also come to this idea that evil doesn't exist. So those are two, but really every pretty much everyone is not going to deny that evil exists, except Hicks, maybe, who we'll talk about in a second. But if we say that evil exists in the world and we hold the problem of evil to be true, it's not a disproof of the existence of God. It's a disproof that God might not have one property that we assign to him. Is that how you feel about that too? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. It has nothing really to do with a lot of the proofs of God that we've talked about a couple of previous episodes, right? Like, like this has nothing to do with creation of the universe. Uh, this has nothing to do with like proving the existence of God from a a priori position or anything like that. It's a different category for sure when it comes to proofs or not proofs of God than say a lot of the design and ontological arguments that we've been talking about. Let's see. Yeah, do you want to do you want to hop over to Hicks? Do you want to do that one? Well, he does take a different approach, right? So it's it's that the world isn't all good. Yeah, I, I think it's it's something. Am I, am I thinking that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's not necessarily assumption that it's a great good. It's the suffering that we go through is a is growth for it's us. A yes, a process. Yeah, this is the growth argument, right? So. Here's Hicks. I don't know if I need to get into this. It's called the Hicks Iranian soul making theodicy. It's like part of this Christian bishop Iranius uh, from the second century AD. And then John Hick, who's this 20th century philosopher. I see those two names often put together in this theodicy. So we'll call it the Hicks Iranian soul making theodicy. <laughs> but here it goes. One, God created the world as a good place. Parentheses, but not paradise think is interesting. Uh, close parentheses, for developing human persons, both spiritually and morally. Two, through evolutionary means, God brought about human persons with free will and the capacity to mature in love and goodness. Three, evil is the result of both the creation of a good soul-making world and of human choice to sin. Four, by placing human persons in this challenging environment, through their own free will responses, they have the opportunity to choose what is right and good, and thus to gradually grow into the mature persons, exhibiting the virtues of patience, courage, generosity, etc., that God desires them to be. And then five, God will continue to work with human persons, even in the afterlife if necessary, by allowing them opportunities to love and choose the good, such that in the eschaton, everyone will be brought into a right relationship with God. Eschaton's a big word. That means uh, uh, end of times. I think that, in a sense, this is a very 
unsatisfying argument for the reader or whoever it is. If we're considering that God, by allowing us to go through suffering, is changing us or molding us, letting these experiences craft us into these very virtuous, moral people or giving us the opportunity to become such, and by cultivating those virtues, we become who we are supposed to be and become like very happy, very close with God, which a lot of Christians and I don't know about other Abrahamic faiths, but for the theist, I, I think is probably the goal of theism to become like really close with God, cultivate the virtues necessary to be close with God. Then I can see how it would be appealing. I think it still remains extremely unsatisfying because it just seems that there's evil that exists that, for one, is so strong that it has no purpose. Mm, yep. And second, is unnecessarily unnecessary to occur. For instance, a common one, again, we can go to the Holocaust, an event so large that it's just, that's so much evil in the world that seems like so destructive to millions of people in seems a little bit large to accomplish such an aim of character development. That seems almost a little cruel if it was character development. Yeah. And, you know, second, imagine like a newborn baby has chemo or something or has serious birth defects and just really goes through a painful few days or hours of suffering and then dies. It's one thing to say in that case, the suffering the suffering that one goes through is for their own personal gain, but for like a baby that lives for a few hours who can't really even develop or reflect on that suffering seems a little cruel and unnecessary. So that's what I would have to say. Do you have anything to say? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised it took me this long to, to think of it. I, I call this the uh, high price to pay counter argument. So, and, and it applies to both, right? Free will also sounds super cool, but I have known people who have lost children in miscarriages or have only lived a few hours after birth, or I've even known people who who their children have lived for eight, ten years with a, a horrible, debilitating disease, and to watch them go through that, those parents, you know, uh, this, this argument kind of makes sense on a, a sort of a logical level, I guess. Like, hey, yeah, makes us into better people, or woohoo, free will, that's a good thing. It just seems like, man, it's an awfully high price to pay. Awfully high price to pay. And and I don't know if I'm really even arguing against the syllogism that well, but that's usually where I land on these types of arguments. Yes, I get it. It makes sense. And, and, and we do grow through our struggles. Absolutely. I mean, I've been through struggles in my life and I've grown through those. Absolutely. But holy cow, I haven't gone through what some other people have gone through. God forbid I ever do. It's a high price to pay. I don't have anything that, yeah, I don't, I can't say anything else to that. Yeah. We could, we should just leave it at that. Leave it. Well. We should just leave it at that. Well, I mean, I, I guess we could try to say some, some concluding thoughts here. We, we've definitely, you know, hit some of the big arguments and provided some pretty powerful counter arguments. Uh, I know it's something you and I both struggle with and millions of other people. I don't know. After all this, where, where does this leave you at the end of the day with this problem? It's a tough answer. I don't know the right answer to it. 
I don't know if the defenses are adequate. I'm not totally convinced by some of the defenses. I'm not totally convinced by any of the defenses, but I'm not totally convinced that the problem is is as damaging as it seems um, because I do th- I do find that the uh, defenses offer something there at least. Yeah, that's I think that's all I have to say. You should, I think if anyone's interested, I think uh, you know more about Swinburne than I do, Mr. Parsons, but uh, Planting is a cool dude. Probably more fun to read than Augustine. <laughs> he's probably more fun to read than Swinburne, too. I like <laughs> Swinburne, but wow, he's very dry, which is wonderful. Yeah, so so for me, there are some things in existence and philosophy that are just almost unanswerable. And when I run into these types of unanswerable type things, I think, well, this is exactly what philosophy is for. Philosophy doesn't engage with the easy questions. And this is a tough one. And I don't know that I'll ever get to a a point where I'm satisfied with an answer to the problem of evil. But with these types of philosophical questions that, again, for me, don't really have a satisfying answer, I think, well, at least, I, I like to at least it, at least I'm closer to truth than I was before. I've engaged with the problem. I've wrestled with it. I'll continue to wrestle with it. Will I ever like see the truth, you know, like Plato's son, you know, will I ever be able to gaze upon the truth of the problem of evil? I I don't know. And so again, like these types of philosophical questions, I I think, well, at least I am closer closer to truth than I was before and just continue working on it and be compassionate and kind to others as they suffer. All right, well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) Well, okay, let's cue the fun music. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a tough nugget. Okay, everyone. Well, (laughs) Andrew and I keep laughing about how to transition to this outro because, you know, anyway, thanks everyone for listening today. We hope you got something out of it. I mean, this is what philosophy is for, these really tough ones. And this is a tough one today. So, so we hope it's valuable to you in some way. Oh my gosh, too. This is the last uh, philosophy of religion episode in the series, right? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening uh, to our series. You know, we definitely really enjoyed it. And uh, we can definitely go more in depth. This was just meant as an intro series. So please let us know uh, if you'd like to hear more or if you don't want to hear more at all. You can email us that at contact at opendoorphilosophy.com or you can you can hit us up on Instagram, opendoorphil and on Mr. Parsons' Twitter, D underscore Parsonage. Hey, we'd like to thank our good buddy Kevin McLeod for the use of his free music. We dig it so much. Go out there and check him out. He's in a lot of places, honestly, when it comes to video and audio creation. So give him a spin. All right. Well, thank you once again for listening. Remember, when your life is in need of some philosophy, the door is always open. See you next time. That's right. See ya.